Hey folks, welcome back to the Manana Nomas podcast. I'm here with my friend James today. He is coming to the table and bringing some value to you. Uh, I've known James because we met through another, you know, kind of a COVID marketing program that we were, were networking with each other. And we thought, man, we got to get face to face and bring other people into the conversation. And we agreed to do the podcast. Now, let me give you a little taste of James. Uh, James Ophirin. I'm probably saying his last name incorrectly. Uh, he's Everybody does. It's all right. It's what? <laughs> Everybody does. It's all right. <laughs> well, James says that uh, he is a digital wellness coach. He's a consultant with a passion for lasting transformation through community. He started his career as a, as a web developer, so we've got similarities there. But he transitioned to being more of a, a coach and coaching professionals uh, at the height of covid uh, and helping fellow nerds with their struggles uh, that he himself faced, empowering others to convert stress uh, into growth instead of into burnout. Sounds a lot like finding the opportunities within the obstacles, right? Yes, so, absolutely. So we've got a, a little bit of uh, similarity there in that messaging. Uh, his projects are multivarious, including collaborative education society, focused on cultivating heroes who impact the world with honor. And the last time that I spoke to James, he started talking about sword fighting and all kinds of cool stuff. And I said, dude, we have got we have got to get together and make this an official thing. So, James, now that I've now that I've read the intro, fill us in, man. Just give us the the details. Introduce us to the cat behind you. This and, is Turtle. Uh, She's a, a rescue cat that my wife and I uh, adopted from the shelter. She's. They picked her up, uh, the pounder picked her up off the streets. And so she has a little bit of a frostbite on one ear. So it droops a little bit. We think is absolutely adorable. Um, but we call her turtle because she when she was new to us, she would like flip her cat bed upside down and she'd go underneath and like bring her bed with her and sneak around and peek out and move around. It was great. So she's got acclimated well and she likes to peek out the windows. Want to say hi? No, she doesn't. <laughs> uh, well, as, as you know, um, you know, I, I am, I love dogs. We had a, we had a chocolate lab. He passed away last month. And, uh, and then we watch other people's dogs. We, 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 you know, we're always surrounded by some kind of fuzzy creature. And I don't <laughs> think there's anything that makes up for just having, having a pet around, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it is amazing. I, I grew up most of my life uh, without really, I was outdoors, rural environments, that kind of stuff. And, but I never, we never actually had pets of our own growing up. So this is actually my fest, my first pet. Uh, which is Oh my goodness. Cool. Yeah, I know, I know. I did, I did tame the squirrels though, growing up, and yeah, I would, they would let me pet them and what, and they're, they're still quite wild at heart. <laughs> squirrels are quite wild at heart, and <laughs> what most people would never even think of, right, is like squirrels are amazingly light. Like if they run up you or run around you, yeah. You ever been like around like a rescue squirrel? I mean, yeah. almost like they don't exist, right? They're no, like no, it's like, almost like, like an apparition. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy, amazing. crazy. They are amazing creatures. Incredibly intelligent. But if you watch the show alone, apparently they can be tasty. This is also true. I have heard that there, there's, I have, I have not eaten one, but I have heard that they are tasty. <laughs> I have heard we, uh, at, I went to word camp last weekend in Arizona and I'm eating lunch and there's a couple that I don't know. So I do the Kurt thing. I introduce myself mm -hmm. and they say, well, we work with security, you know, internet security stuff. And they're starting to do their pitch. I said, mm -hmm. where are you guys from? They go, oh, we came down from Canada. That's great. I love Canada. And then they mm -hmm. said they lived on Vancouver Island. And I mm -hmm. went, what? Get out of here. What do you guys do with all those bears? And they were like, bears <laughs> i was like yeah bears wolves i mean people over there eat mice and they were like what in the world are you talking about i said have you ever seen the show alone and they're like what is this show i'm like you live on vancouver island you've never seen the show alone and so everyone at the table starts kicking in with i love that show and these two poor people were like what is happening and the woman was like um it was a younger guy <laughs> it was a younger couple and the, and the female of the couple I could tell she was a little annoyed. She was like, um, we live in a city. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> like, it's a big island. <laughs> yeah, it's a big island. I, I, I said, well, that just goes to show how much you know. The rest of the world knows it is being this like horribly harsh environment where where if you can survive there for up to 90 days, somebody will pay you like a half million dollars. And they're like, 
but I live there. Like, I'm not right there. I jog there. It's it's not as harsh as what you're saying. I said, I said, oh, trust me, I've seen the footage. This place is <laughs> rough. There are places, rough. evidently, that are rough. Yeah, that, that's oh. one of the things that I remember growing up that uh, my dad noticed was that people would go elsewhere to travel, right? And they go and they go visit and they do all the touristy things and learn about this other city they go to. And people would come into their town and like, wow, this is amazing. You live here. And there's these, all these different things. Like, I didn't even know these things existed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it says, we're going to spend the time to explore the area that we're actually at first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And because we're there, we can like, we can research and we can figure out all this time they have this event going on. Well, it's right down the road. So I can just go there without having to worry about hotels and travel and all that kind of stuff so we, we we learned to look at the place we were living like tourists and it became a big part of our culture of just being more grateful for where you're at if you treated everything in that way of exploring and engaging and allowing yourself to be struck by wonder of the everyday becomes yep. tremendously potent and powerful yeah, yeah. I mean, ask a native New Yorker when's the last time they went to the Statue of Liberty and half of them will say I've never been Right. You know, right, or, right. or you go to Colorado and you're like, isn't the skiing at Copper Mountain awesome? And they're like, I've never been to Copper Mountain. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> well, dude, let, let's jump into something uh, yeah. meaty, man. Tell me about your projects. Tell me <laughs> about, um, let's, I don't know if we should talk about like how you help with networking or, or your business stuff first, or if we should yeah, just I'll go right a, into I'll sword fighting. I'll give a quick rundown. Uh, of the diff some of the, some of the different things that I've been working on, and then we can do a deep dive into one or more of those as we have time. And as everybody wants to know about sword fighting, James, sword fighting. I, I know where we're going to end up. <laughs> <laughs> th that there's a certain draw there to some particular elements of my projects. So we'll start off with something that you brought up initially. I migrated out of web development into coaching, and that's what kind of started me on a lot of these journeys because. One of the core aspects of coaching, as I'm sure you're very familiar with, is that coaching is focused more on the implementation and helping people take action more than just adding information. Yep. Right. And so it's not sitting there and giving advice, not there being an expert on their behalf. It's not helping them become a better expert. It's about them actually applying their expertise and becoming more, becoming better at actually living what their ambitions are and their full potential. So that became an open door to exploring a lot of different ways for opening potential within people's lives. I focused primarily on communication as yeah, that was the initial part of things, particularly you know, helping nerds get words because <laughs> nerds need words. <laughs> we, nerds engineers need words. are not known for being the most girlless bunch in the world. <laughs> it is how it is, but it is uh, how it is. Yep. So I worked, I, I worked with that for a while. And then there was the sh shift with COVID and everybody was flooding online and working remotely. And there were a lot of issues that came out of that. And I'd always worked remotely. I always loved it, but I knew what the challenges were like. I knew what the problems were and I burned out. And so when I started seeing burnout cropping up again as a buzzword, I'm like, oh, I recognize that. And I recognize some of these symptoms. I wonder what's going on. And because in my client base, that was something that they were struggling with a lot, I started exploring and researching what, how, how I could help them as a coach. And I was able to connect the dots with some research that was done in the medical industry and research that had been done for a long time about the psychic impacts of use, of use of technology and how our world has changed so much, yeah, so yeah. fast that we've really disconnected yeah. from a lot of the normal ways of just being human. And we've completely thought we've gotten this idea that these things are just normal and there's nothing normal nothing normal about the way anything is being lived right now in any shape of the imagination and so we're just not we haven't adapted we haven't learned the skills we still haven't figured out what exactly we've changed I mean, we've just randomly pushing buttons and seeing what blows and blows up and smokes and springs pop out oh that looks interesting we'll do that again we have no clue what's going on we're just button mashing our, our life and our world so a lot of there's a lot of unintended consequences have arisen, and some of that makes it harder for us to deal with stress effectively. And so I had a big a background in addictions recovery ministry and things like that, and I was able to connect some dots. And thinking as a coach, I was able to connect some other dots and develop a model for dealing with burnout and eliminating it ultimately. So that was a big shift. And I was able to like expand out from just communications out to this holistic approach to radically transforming individuals to be able to be resilient 
um, in the face of chaos and be able to convert stress into growth instead of into burnout. So as yeah. I was researching that around the same time, I ended up uh, getting drug along by one of my best friends over the mountains when I was living back in Washington to a banquet and ball event uh, where I had so prior to this point, I had never danced. I had not known anybody who danced. I had no clue about dancing. I was something people did on TV, right? And so that was something that was completely alien to my experience. I had no real, I, I always loved the idea of dancing, but I, 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 I kid you not, I could not clap, like just keeping a rhythm. It was just not a thing I could do. And I grew up Baptist, so that's terrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you can nail a potluck. I can nail a potluck, but I could not dance <laughs> and I could not clap. Um, and so I had no ambitions of really being able to learn that skill or take on that identity. But, but my friend said there was sword fighting. So I was like, well, if they teach enough dance for me to be able to get along and not step on anybody's feet, we'll make it work. But there's sword fighting. I'll go. So he drug me along. There was sword fighting. There was also dancing. They taught me well enough that I was able to not embarrass myself completely, which is great. <laughs> it's astonishing how much waltz you can learn in a short period of time and how accessible one, two, it actually three, is. One, two, three. One, two, three. It's a trinity in a heartbeat, I like to say. It's beautiful. It's my favorite dance. It's amazing because it's so accessible, but there's not really a mastery cap. Like You can just keep getting better and better and better at it and just making it more and more beautiful. And you, you can dance like really, if you're really good, you can still have fun with someone who's completely new and vice versa. It's just amazing. So I really love waltz. So that was my first encounter with this culture. There's a group over in Yakima, Washington. They've been doing it for 12 years. And they had developed this entire community of people that, you know how you meet somebody and they're just more of a person? Like they just have that energy, they yeah. have momentum, that charisma, like that's a person. Like they're happening to the world. The world's not happening to them. Right? Yeah. I've had a few of them on the podcast recently. I mean, people yeah. I can vividly think of right now as you say that. Yeah. They're, they're rare. They're, they're they're a rare gem in the world. But it, it's amazing when you can when you can find them. When you're networking and moving around like you and I do, we run into more of them. Or we're kind of moving those circles. I went there. Everybody was like that. <laughs> I was like, "How did you get all these amazing people here? Like, what what kind of coincidence brought all these people here together? Like, oh, we didn't like we all live here. Like, we didn't used to be this way. Like, we just became this way. Like, we make these kinds of people here. Kind of an idea." Yeah. Like, well, how do you do that? It's like, well, the banquet and ball, like this is what this does because and it clicked back with me being a coach was like, that's true. Like we don't change people by giving them information, just telling them, talking at them. It's not how it works. People change and live and are who they are because of their experiences. Ultimately, yeah. fundamentally because of our experiences and particularly experiences within community. Right. Got to be cultivated. Yes, exactly. So this was a cultivation program that encultured people with the capacity to be that kind of person, a person of high, excellent caliber, people who were doing and acting and living in the world and challenging it instead of just being challenged by it, which resonated deeply with the whole aspect of, you know, converting stress into growth instead of into burnout and all these, like, this is all just kind of synchronized together. Yeah. So I was primed for recognizing what was actually going on under the hood. So I reached out to the leadership and said, hey, if you want to learn something, you teach it, right? So I really want to understand what you're doing. Can I teach it your next one? I said, sure. So I got involved with the leadership and I did one for a presentation and training. Uh, I did on communication skills. That was my expertise. Uh, the next one. Meantime here, I moved over to Fargo, North Dakota. Um, so the last two New Year's, I've driven all the way back well the first time i took the train there and back which is still a few days trip this last time i actually went via oklahoma went down with my family for christmas and then took a few of them all the way up flew up and then took the train back so it was a whole thing i brought my, my siblings family. and introduced them to it and it is one of those things that i can definitely demarcate in my life this was before the ball this was after the ball 
it fundamentally changes who you are. The, the kind of immersive transformative experience that it is, is ultimately inexpressible. There are a lot of experiences that, that are that kind of transformation. And they all have this one thing in common is that you can't put into words what it's like. Uh, there's people, I, there was actually a research paper that I encountered recently about Burning Man. Hmm. And, yeah. trans, and did a whole analysis of transformative experiences through a lot of different factors about the immersion, the uh, the clothing, the music, um, collaborative action, all these different dimensions that make it successful. But one of the key correlate, correlating factors of the more transformative the event was, the less people were able to put it into words. So those things you have to come and see. It's like nice. it's like being immersed in a in a out of country missions trip. You get yeah. dropped off yeah. in a country with a different language and a different culture yep. and different buildings and different food and mm-hmm. and you you either curl up under a bush and cry for a week or <laughs> you 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 figure it out and you come home. You know, at the end yeah. of the trip, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It changes you. It. It changes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what what really kind of sank home to me: the power of immersive transformative experiences and and how much you can use those as a narrative tool to engineer transformation that actually lasts and sticks with people right so i started researching and developing this experiential education concept and how to do this intentionally starting experiments and working with my friends locally and connecting and trying different things out uh, started a sword fighting club, started doing dance clubs and things like that, doing ballroom dance and taking elements of different pieces of culture. Just this last week, we started a, a new dimension of it called a soiree, which is an evening dinner where you come together better, you know, you dress better than you usually do, suit and tie, all that kind of stuff, and gowns and everything. You sit around a table, you have, you know, better than your normal everyday food, uh, and you have a very structured uh, ritualized way that you have the conversation instead of just sitting there and just chit-chatting you have toasts uh, where you have a person who's presiding over the table who would lead with a toast and it's a theme and a structure to each one of them that correlates around a particular narrative context that you're working with i was working off of um, an essay by gerard manley hopkins called principle or foundation which is about uh, the the redemptive creative quality of work and labor and how we glorify God in every little thing that we do. It's a beautiful, beautiful essay. So we had everybody read it. In fact, I told them, read it before you come. If you don't do this, you have to recuse yourself from attending. Read it once to yourself. Read it out loud to somebody else and have somebody else read it out loud to you. You have to read it three times. So let it really sink in. So you actually, not just like skimming through it. Oh yeah, I've got it. And you go, you have to actually take your time. They have to read it three times. Because I didn't yeah. read it to everybody at the thing. I, I just wanted sitting in everybody's mind, like kind of gestating there, kind of working in their muse. So that when I did the toasts, they would all connect back to that. It would all correlate with it. And I structured them based off of key points that were in the essay. They can kind of pull out, make the connections they wanted to make. But I would present a toast. Everybody stand to it. We'd clink and whatnot. And people would give, a responsory toast. Like as, as the conversation flowed, someone's like, you know, I want to make a point. I want to salute this particular concept. And they'd stand up and they'd give a toast and we'd all salute to it and they'd have a good response. And then I'd give the next leading toast and kind of structured the entire conversation. And every time you'd have the toast, it would bring together in unity all the different small conversations that kind of drifted out along the table and bring everybody back together again. And so I had yeah. this really cool balance of kind of the chaos but also the unity. So you have that diversity within unity that is really powerful. So it was an amazing experience. I had one of the guys there say that it was the most intentional conversation around dinner that he had ever had in his life. Which, yeah, if you think about way family does dinner now, <laughs> I mean, just compared if, to when... If, if family does dinner. <laughs> yeah, so if, right? So so if is there. But, but I think about like the way my family does dinner compared to like, the way other families did dinner two generations ago. Yeah. You know, night and day, man. I mean, I I make a big deal about it. I don't even know where it is. Here it is. I found it. My phone. Um, (laughs) My kids on it, you know, my wife on it, you know, (laughs) I went through now it's almost a year ago, but, but it like became, uh, I was on someone else's podcast and they were talking about, phone distractions and i'm like oh i took everything out of my phone i did a factory data reset and mm-hmm. i just do text and phone calls that i mean that's it that's what a phone's for 
And, uh, and I said, I said, and no regrets. Like I don't look back. Like mm-hmm. I went to Phoenix for work. And so for work, you know, I put the Facebook and the LinkedIn and all that crud back in there. But what do I do when I get back? Factory data reset, sync my contacts with my Google account because it's an Android phone and yep. boom, right back to a brick again, which I mean, to talk about it's free pe- people go, well, how do you do that? Like they look at me like I'm the crazy one. Like, no, I'm, I'm not the crazy one. You're the crazy <laughs> one. You're, you're connected all day, every day to this thing. No wonder you're, you know, like they just seem, people seem stressed out for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like there's no reason to be upset about anything. When, just when, you, when you have, when you have a device and you've got that screen, like every dimension of society and every facet of your life is just all at there at once. That's one of the things that we like talking about with unintended consequences yeah, it's convenient as all heck, right? But back just, you know, a few, you know, maybe one or two generations ago, you would have a room for sleeping, you'd have a room for eating, you'd have a room for reading, you'd have a room for this aspect of work, a different room for a different aspect of work. If you want to go out to meet people, you go out to a room dedicated to that purpose. You'd have a yeah. parlor, you'd have, you know, sitting room, you had a smoking room, you like, there are a lot of rooms, right? But one of the things that you that was really powerful about that is that if you wanted to go do something else, you'd get up and walk to that other space, right? Yeah. And in that process, you cross over a threshold, right? And there's a there's a period of time, a lapse between those two, which gives you time to process and have a buffer, right? But also when you cross over a threshold, I mean, we've actually we actually noticed and complain about it. You know, when you walk through a room, you forget what you went went in there for. Yep. Right. That's a feature, not a bug. Because if you walk back, it'll remember it again our brain dumps our buffers whenever we cross a threshold, right? That's it's a feature, not a bug. What happens is, is that whenever we cross into a different zone, it allows us to focus more effectively on whatever we're doing in that space. And it leaves behind all the stresses and the anxiety and the worries in that previous room. There for us to pick back up again and deal with, and it compartmentalizes those. So we're only dealing with one slice at a time. It's all we're ever really designed to work with is one slice at a time. We can't deal yeah. with all the world's woes constantly at all times. But what happens is that we have one workstation with everything accessible on it and one device that goes with us everywhere that not only has access to every aspect of our lives, it has access to everybody else's lives and everybody else's business. That's not our business. Just constantly being flooded in and notified on and just injected directly into our brains effectively. And, and we're and not blurs designed the to handle that. Yeah, yeah, it blurs all the thresholds. It takes all yep. the all the safety features out. Yep. As you were talking, so many things went through my my mind, James. And bear <laughs> with me on this. I was I went to the Mint Four Hundred last month. I took my son. We volunteer. We work at the races. Boom. We love going there. We, we do our thing. As I'm leaving, I'm like, son, I got to get a cup of coffee. Like I need a real cup of coffee. I'm caffeine deficient. I go into <laughs> McDonald's. Nobody is working at the counter at McDonald's. They got six kiosks in there. Three of the kiosks are broken. Uh, a bunch of, uh, let's just be real, like mouth breathing people that just don't, can't comprehend any of it. They're staring at these things, trying to order. All I want is a cup of coffee. I just want a cup of coffee. There's no one to order from. There's no access to a kiosk. It takes 20 minutes to get to a kiosk. I order the coffee. I finally get it. Now, there's a bunch of proponents out there that say, that's modernization. That's more efficient. We're we're moving forward. We're doing this. We're doing that. And I go back to, I want a tactile, personal experience with the people I choose to do business with. Mm-hmm. Like when our Home Depot did the whole self-help kiosk thing, I stopped going to Home Depot until they opened the cash registers back up. Mm-hmm. Um, like I ain't clocked in. Like I'm not your cashier. You know, I want I want someone to, to cash me out. Yep. And I was listening to you talk and I was like, that sounds amazing. Like to sit around and have a purpose, a purposeful and a purpose driven mm. conversation yes. with structure, right? With, with, with etiquette and structure and uh, relationship, right? You're actually things that we talked about when I introduced, it, I talked about that, about how uh, we have etiquette. When we talk about how um, etiquette flows from courtesy and courtesy flows from honor. And we mm-hmm. define each of those, right? And so when you're having these conversations, like, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the logistics and mechanics of what etiquette looks like for us. But in the meantime, I want you to think about it. It's like, how would I act if I were to act with 
presence, intention, and integrity. Those are the three components of, of honor, we believe. Yeah. Right. And if you want to show discretion, right, beauty and order, those are the elements of etiquette. And like so on, we break it all down and everything. And like, what does that look like? Just very simple principles. What does that look like? And you think, and like, if you just pause for a moment and reflect and be present, it's kind of intuitive, actually. It's not super complicated. It's like, how do I care about the person in front of me? How do I build relationship and community in this simple, beautiful act of just passing the potatoes or acknowledging somebody, right? Yeah, but it, to your it's point. Not about it, it, it's not about efficiency. When you think about people look like, well, these different countries, like they're better than this country and that country is better than the country because their GDP is this or that. And I'm like, who the heck cares? Like, what was the GDP of the uh, nations before we had all of this chaos and suicide and all these kinds of issues, right? Like, they there were people, there were peasants who were had way less than we do, right? As far as like creature comforts and so and so on, right? But what's fascinating is when I, when, I, when I study about how when you turn stress into growth, right? Excessive comfort kills us. Yeah. Right. It makes it harder for us to actually enjoy life, right? Our ability to engage with the elements and transform that into actual enjoyment deliberately is atrophied. So these people who had less creature comforts actually enjoyed their life more, right? They faced the weather. They were more human. And they had less, but they were more grateful for it. They had a yep. simpler life. They had less. They, they weren't all fighting with each other over who was going to succeed and have the best career plan. They was like, I'm doing this in front of me. I'm going to do it well. And I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm fine if I haven't doubled my income over the course of my lifetime. That's not, it wasn't a factor, right? It wasn't a thing that they were measuring each other against. But now we compare and contrast each other constantly. We're always driven to compete, to constantly pushing each other and driving each other for the most efficient productive life ever at the cost of relationships and community, which ultimately are the only things that really last. Yeah. It degrades everything. Yeah. You know, cause you, you think about, I'm, I'm trying to think back like, and I'm trying to think like, you know, little house on the prairie and yeah, all these things. Right. And so, so, so you're forcing me to, to be like, okay, so what was the goal? Well, the goal was, you know, a dry place to put your head down at night. Right. Mm -hmm. A, mm -hmm. a meal for that day, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a plan for that season. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it wasn't like, well, I'm going to retire when I'm 55. So I got to make sure we have, you know, 13 <laughs> money, the 401k yeah. Yeah, 30, 37 cows on the lot. And, uh, you know, and uh, 16 draft mules or whatever. I mean, it, it, that wasn't the case. It just wasn't, you know, you want, you want to something mind blowing. Uh, I'm Eastern Orthodox Christian, so I look at a lot of the history on the Eastern side in the Eastern Roman Empire um, lasted up until the fall of Constantinople, but or some people say fall into the fall of Moscow to the Bolsheviks. But anyway, um, the the sainted emperors, right? The 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 good the good emperors. There are a lot of bad emperors, but the good emperors, right? The the the, the princes who had the most opulent, wealthy, rich lives right once you had the most power like you can you, the byzantine emperor had power like you would not believe right you know what their retirement plan was death no monasticism really the standard practice was that they at before their death they would abdicate the throne they'd willingly set it aside pass it on, create a succession plan, hand it on securely and stably to the next person, and then go to a monastery and live out the rest of their lives in poverty to seek repent wow. for their sins, the things that they did while they were while they were an emperor, to try and reorient themselves. And because they had that in their mind, they weren't as captivated by all the wealth and the riches and the power. Yeah. And they lived a more satisfying yeah. life. Like that that was that was their retirement plan was to go give it away. And go live a monastic lifestyle. Where did their secret service live? <laughs> they wouldn't serve the next emperor, though. There, there have been occasions. Where I, there was, there was somebody I was reading about recently, a, a hagiography of um, one of the kings. What was it? Who was it? 
I think I can't remember which one it was now, but uh, he handed it off to one of his sons and whatnot. I feel like, and then like the son like went pagan and like went and started trying to like start persecuting the church and everything. And so this retired emperor king um, who was a monk, like just threw a fit, like rage, like he wouldn't believe, came back out of the monastery, deposed his son, gave everything over to his son. It's like, hey, now I'm going back to the monks, like behave yourselves this time. Don't, I'm going <laughs> so back. hilarious. Don't, don't make me come back a second time. Exactly. <laughs> oh so there was God. that too. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a completely different way of looking at it though. It was like, instead of like building up so that I have like amazing, I can just relax and not do anything have a retirement plan like no i'm going to you know abdicate from comfort and that's yeah. going to and prepare for the life after that's that's my retirement plan in that way i think it's, it's a completely different way of looking at the world sweet so you just did this great talk about the the dinner the toasts mm -hmm. You uh, barely touched the surface of what a sword fight looks like. Oh yeah, uh, let, let, let me go in a bit so, more. So, so we got why, why, why do we that. do why do we do sword fighting? Yes, <laughs> other than that, it's cool, right? There, there's something that's like deep within every guy and and most girls too, of like there's something special about swords of holding a sword and um, fighting sword fighting. It's just it's part of our blood in so many ways. Um, there's there's something cool about guns too. There's like there's a huge thing around guns, particularly in America. Um, but they're still very new, right? Culturally, traditionally, and so on. Tr swords are consistent and ancient around all cultures and times and places. So there's something very deeply spiritually connective about that. Um, I can go into the theology of why I think that is, like going back to like, they were actually invented by God, not man, because the first sword was given to the angel to defend the garden. It wasn't actually invented by man. Something to think about. You think about the purpose there and why it was there, and then tying that through, you get some really interesting explorations of what the role of what the role of mankind is, and what role of manhood, um, and man masculinity and femininity comes into play there, and the role of government. Like, there's a whole thing there that I won't get into here because it's a whole, it's, it's a very long thing, but it ties into this. So it also comes in the background when you hand somebody a sword, and that's all in my back my, my mindset, and when I'm framing the context. And that, that's a big aspect of when you're creating an immersive event. It's not just the material things and how you're setting things up, that there's a huge part of it. But so much of it is the demeanor of the person who's setting the tone. Um, we call it we call it in, in the academy and in, in the in the this, the, uh, the syndicate in, in Yakima. Uh, it's called putting on the tux. Like when you put on this this mindset, that this uh, this gravitas, this groundedness that you own everything you do while you're wearing the tux there's a very specific framing that you impose on the world it's not just your own mindset it's like you become this rock that the world pivots around in a sense and it doesn't matter what happens you spill something on your shirt like you did that i intended to do that and it, it sounds kind of silly but it's like no like this is what happened i own it and then now i'm going to take care of it Yep. You don't like, oh, panic or rush. You don't, you don't break, you don't break the tux, right? You walk with deliberation, with honor, with presence, with intention, with integrity at all times, right? So when I'm introducing an event, whether it's a soiree, whether it's a, a fencing match, whether it's a dance, whatever it is, you change your, your demeanor. You tell like, I'm not, I'm not casual bebopping around the streets, James. I'm this James. It's a it's a part of who I am. It's a it's a leadership role that you serve everybody around you with by embodying this posture, right? And then it infects them, right? It 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 shifts their perception. Like, oh wait, I'm, somebody's actually taking something seriously. Maybe I should too, right? And it reframes it for them as well. So you're giving them a gift of an opportunity to have honor and to share honor and to be honored. Right. And so everything we do is framed within that context of like wearing that tux. So when you hand somebody a sword and you have that mindset, it changes. It's not just a toy. It's not something cool like you see with Errol Flynn or, you know, lightsabers or, you know, watching a movie or something like that. It's like, no, this is something more real. Like I'm holding it. And then you give them a purpose. So in the context of a ball, particularly an academy ball, 
a ball always has several key components. Uh, there's, you know, the attire, there's the event itself, and so on. There's always exactly matching guys and girls, and they're always assigned who they're going to dance with for every single dance. There's no question about it, okay? Every girl has a dance card, knows exactly who they're dancing with, except for the last dance. The last dance is a mystery. It's a surprise at the end. They're always assigned. They know exactly who they're going to dance with, and nobody's left out, right? That dance card is designed by one very specific person. Each gentleman has one particular lady that they are stewarding for that that ball, right? They are responsible for curating and cultivating and designing their evening, right? They hmm. choose who's going on at each point on that dance card. And they're honoring the people that they're, the other guys that they're putting on there. They're honoring the lady by who they're choosing for them to dance with. And they think about, oh, she wants to have a conversation with this person and she likes this kind of music and that guy really likes that kind of music and he's going to have really fun with that particular one. Or they, they, there's a lot of different things that come into it. Sometimes it's a really cool like narrative. Um, some guys will do these fun pair swap types of things that leading up to a surprise at the end, or some people like to do acronyms with names and all kinds of crazy stuff with it, but they tell a story with it is the core is the core aspect and they're honoring the lady with it. The first dance is this is the guy who's stewarding the card because he has to present her the card. Right? So it's, it's a meaningful, powerful thing. So you can't just draw names out of a hat. Who's going to be stewarding whose dance card that would be dishonorable. Right. Yeah. So what the guys do is they duel each other with steel for the honor of stewarding the ladies' dance cards. That's where the sword fighting comes into play. Because it's not just competing each other to see who's better or just having fun whacking at each other. Right. It's like, no, we are honoring the ladies with these dances, with these fights. It becomes so once again, women are causing trouble even at your events. <laughs> we don't take it as trouble though that's the thing <laughs> so you like each person has like the cards and we don't we don't tell any of the details about who is fighting for who or anything like that to the ladies it's all complete secret right they don't get to watch um wow. so it's like you go there and it's like i think that i would steward that card better than you would i challenge you to a duel and you each get seconds we go out there we duel each other. Winner, if I, if I, if I win as a challenger, we, we exchange cards, right? And the idea hmm. is that each person comports themselves with honor, whether they win or lose. So that at the end, every single person has the card, the, the person that they're going to steward, that they are meant to be serving with that stewardship. So there's no wrong answers in that way, right? And there's times where you'll like honor a lady by making sure that she's fought for. Even if you know, like, I don't want, I don't, I don't think I'm going to end up with this lady, but I don't want him to just walk away. Like, I think he would actually be better at it than me, right? But I want to honor her by ch and him by challenging him for it. He has to defend it. I don't just give it to him. Like, I fight for it, right? But I'm honoring both of them by making them earn that honor. It becomes tremendously cool. powerful. So that's that's where the that's where the dueling comes into play because there's a purpose to it, there's a point to it. You're honoring somebody with it, and because the ladies know that we're fighting, we can show. I mean, you know, I got bruises and marks and like you know, cuts and like gouges and a bandaid back here and all this kind of stuff. You know, like and like we every lady's bled for, right? And so when that happens, when you're walking across the dance floor to dance with this lady, there's meaning behind that, and that lady is looking at us like this person earned this opportunity. I'm not going to waste it for him. Right. And so what happens is, is that every single moment becomes elongated. Every single moment becomes heavy. There's the gravitas of each moment and intensifies throughout the entire evening until the last dance. And there's this, this climax, this pinnacle of intention and presence and integrity at that last dance. And it's like this culmination of honor that is focused around in like a lens around whatever the theme is for that particular ball. Cause they're always themed around some kind of transformative narrative. Yeah. Um, so like this next one that I'm doing here um, in, I'm bringing here to Fargo for the first time uh, in May, the one is called the, the martyrs ball. It's all about death, bestowing life and beauty and ashes and the trans, the resurrection of the Phoenix and taking things that are, that are lost or that are broken, that are um, destroyed. And then, rebuilding and finding beauty in it and then um the sages ball which will be later this year um it'll be larger uh end of august beginning of september 
a five-day event, uh, and that's all about sagehood, about that. The wisdom of being able to grow through challenges and be a hero, to be an impact in your larger community and society. So each of has these themes, and there's going to be exercises and trainings providing context and meaning to that so that the conversation over the banquet right before the ball will bring that to life and contextualize it. So that's what's on people's minds while they're dancing. And so depending on what the songs are and who you're dancing with and the experiences you've had together over the weekend and so on, all mesh together and provide context this deeply emotional, deeply powerful, deeply, deeply weighty moment. And it becomes a fulcrum that your entire life can pivot around. You can actually have lasting, powerful transformation from it. Yeah. I want to add some clarity to all the stuff that you're describing because people might be tuning into the podcast halfway, midway, whatever, <laughs> and they're and they're going, you know, Kurt usually talks about leadership. Kurt usually talks about communication, or Kurt usually talks about technology, right? So mm-hmm. so what are we talking about with sword fighting and why does this make sense? And I think about things that are popular, like uh, my sister lives in Maryland and she goes to this, um, you know, medieval knights thing where they have dinner. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's an experience where she is, she's an attendee and she's mm-hmm. seeing other people perform that ritual. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. some people might listen to you and go, well, duh, I've been to a Renaissance festival. Well, that's okay. <laughs> you bought a Turkey leg and you walked around with your, you know, board shorts on and ate a yeah. Turkey leg and watched other people participate. Yeah. But what you're talking about is the immersion experience of being part of the event yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and not only participation, not consumption. Yeah. And not only play acting for that moment, but adopting the qualities that come out of that immersive experience yeah. to be a whole, a that's whole a, person change. That's a really, that's a really key thing. Cause there's a lot of people like, Oh, that's like LARPing or that's like the Ren Fair or that's like the SCA. Yeah. These kinds of things. The key fundamental differentiator is that all of those are creating an alternative persona, right? You're creating someone else that you step into to relieve yourself from the frustration of who you normally really are. It, it creates a, a bifurcation, right? Which is fine. Like escapism can, can be great, right? Um, and you can have transformative experiences from that. I'm not knocking it, right? But this is fundamentally different in that you aren't taking on a different persona. You are revealing something about yourself that you haven't dared to admit. Yeah. You are exposing a piece of yourself that you've kept hidden from yourself to be validated by others and acknowledge that, yes, this is a worthy and true part of who you actually are. When you put on the tux, you're not putting on something alien to you. You are revealing an aspect of yourself that always is there, but that is atrophy. Right? Yeah, something that's more formal. That community. Yes. yes. You know, uh, it, it's going to sound... It's going to sound trite. It's going to sound, it's going to sound really dumb when it comes out of my mouth, but um, I have a pair of boots I bought when I got married and they're like cowboy boots, but they have like motorcycle uh, boot bottom soles, right? They're not leather and slippery. They're mm-hmm. like, so you can wear them all the time. Like, like they're, yeah. but when I wear those, there's something about having that inch and a half, two inch heel, whatever that is, mm-hmm. that corrects posture. That makes me stand upright. That makes me carry myself in a different way compared to wearing my Nikes. Yep. Um, when I want to go on a hike or I take my son out on a scouting weekend and I'm wearing my hiking boots, those shoes create a different stature. They create a different um, confidence on the trail. They create a yep. different, you right. And so that, that effect makes a difference to me personally, experientially in that moment yep. Things are different because of that small thing. And then you come along and say, oh, well, put on a tux and sword fight and and vie for the honor of these women and this, that. And what you say in today's world sounds completely foreign, but I would oh, I would bet there's a healthy percentage of people just like me right now going, man, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that just be relaxing for the moment? Mm-hmm. Right. And then to focus on to focus on that event with clarity, like 
when I used to road race motorcycles, what part of what I loved about racing a motorcycle at 150 miles an hour is you don't think about anything else except riding that motorcycle <laughs> at 150 miles an hour. You know, you're I not mean, reading just, your phone while you're doing it for sure. <laughs> man, it is the clarity of the moment. It is just yeah. the it's just you and the machine, and that's it. And then so I, I can only imagine and dancing. Both of them have that element of yours that completely present, body yeah. engaged. Yeah, just like you're in, like in for a dollar, in for a pound, baby. I'm yep. in. I'm doing yep. this thing. And that we to me that. is that's the cool thing. I mm-hmm. I hate to use the word apathy or to use these terms that get thrown around a lot, but mm-hmm. when I when I go to external events, especially now that COVID, you know, is kind of waned and people are having events again, you go somewhere, you see people that are actively engaged and really going for it. And then you see some people slouching, staring at the floor, shuffling their feet. And you're like, man, you're missing out. Like there's so much opportunity to engage and become something, become not become something that sounds, that sounds like I'm putting them down, but there's, they're missing the opportunity to be all they can be at that moment. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're losing that opportunity. That's one of the things that I bring up with my, with my coaching clients about every encounter with stress is an opportunity right it's something that it's 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 you're you're being given gifted something that you can invest that will bear an roi if you frame it right if you engage with it if you lean into it you're fully present with it like today i was i was dealing with some stuff with my computer and trying to get stuff upgraded and a lot of frustration because things weren't working right uh, and I got to do a bunch of other stuff to get things working. I'm kind of in the middle of this journey. And I'm, I'm at the, I'm hoping I'm at the, at the bottom of the narrative arc here. <laughs> so I think hopefully things get better from here. Um, but I'll seem like, you know, I'm really frustrated with this. And I was like, you know, I could either just like decide not to be frustrated, just be patient, just move on with it. But also like, if I just like allow myself to be frustrated and just say, you know, I'm going to lean into this. Like, yes, this is a frustrating thing. And if I accept that, I don't deny it, but I know that I'm bigger than that frustration. I don't let it, you know, touch me or impact me in, in a negative way. But I also know that I'm investing that experience in the joy of when it actually gets resolved at the end. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like in Lord of the, in Lord of the Rings with, you know, Sam and Frodo, you know, going through and then like at the last, at the last bit, it's, everything is the, most, the worst. They don't have any memory of green or trees or food or anything joyful just completely drained right but like at that moment that's what made the joy and the bliss of victory so much more sweet right so there's times when you're like you know i'm just going to just let this pass and just let this not be not annoy me i can choose to do that and that i'll grow from that i'll exercise my patience and i'll have more capacity for dealing with stress that way or i can also narratively incorporated into my story and make it and be present in that as well either way i'm being present and that's the key thing so we had this great conversation and i want to honor your time but now i'm curious like are is this is this whole podcast just a a ploy to get people to move to fargo to be a part of your deal or (laughs) (laughs) i I kid you not, you know this. I've given you the sales pitch like two or three times already. <laughs> I want yeah. people to move to Fargo. I honestly do. I think Fargo is an amazing city. And I think North Dakota is an amazing place. Uh, I, I have to tell you, yes, the, the winters are crazy. It's it's spring and it's still, you know, three feet of snow outside. <laughs> it doesn't normally last this long. But what I find funny is that all the easily annoyed people move south. <laughs> so we have all the nice people who are still here, all the patient people. People who oh, are people hardy have this kind of a mindset. So there's like a, re- a really nice culture of people who are grounded and engaged. And they do some amazing stuff. So I'm really proud to be a North Dakotan, even if I'm a transplant. Um, I love it. So I'd love people to, to move up here. Absolutely. But you don't have to move here to come to the ball. Uh, there's if you if you go to the uh, one in particular uh, in August, September, the Sages Ball, uh, there'll be people from all over the country coming in for that one. So cool. Cool. Um, I've got your links. From your prep yes. form, I'll put those in the description of the podcast when we publish this. But I mean, how do you prefer that people find James? People hear <laughs> this, they go, "Man, I got to connect with this dude." How do you prefer to be connected with? Uh, email, probably the I, I do stand top of my email. I'm sitting at inbox zero every day, pretty much. 
uh, across all like five of my email, email inboxes that I have. I keep on top of it effectively. So email is probably the most efficient way to get a hold of me. You won't get buried. Uh, the easiest way to find me is typically stressredemption.com. That redirects to my, you know, farron.com, which is my last name, O-P-H-E-R-O-N. Um, and that'll have a contact page. You can contact me. If you're interested in the Academy and things we're doing there, go to ash.academy. No.com, ash.academy, A-S-H. Uh, and yep. they'll have upcoming events, you know, information about what we do, all that kind of stuff. I'm constantly re- revamping and updating it. Uh, so it's still in the beginning stages of development. But we do have a site. It does have event brights for registering for things and stuff coming up. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, we, we're going to combat burnout. We're going to we're going to combat stress. We're going to have purpose. Um, dude, I, I thank you so much for your time coming on here and sharing this with people. Um, I can't. Again, as as we were having that discussion, I kept thinking to myself, trying to think from a listener's perspective, kind of like listening in, right? I picture someone driving on the 91 right now, just like stuck in bumper to bumper traffic going, what in the heck is this guy talking about? But it's like, <laughs> think about it, man. Like, like, when was the last time you executed something and felt highly purposeful and mm-hmm. felt like it was tied to the results of someone else? Like, think about sword fighting for the you know, for, for, uh, you know, a lady's dance card, like really, like, is that a thing? And then think about like our current culture and what people are arguing about and all the labels that people are putting on themselves. And, and here you are holding this event with with, like, I will duel you, sir, for the, for the sanctity (laughs) of this lady, you know? And it's like, okay, well, let's have at it, man. Cause, cause (laughs) it is, uh, you know, it's just generations and generations old. And I'm so glad to see that you are standing up and making that a reality again. We need it. We need it. Cool. Folks, uh, this was my friend James. The links will be in the description. I encourage you to reach out and connect with him. If you want to be a guest on the Manana Nomas podcast, by all means, hit me up. You can come to mananomas.com. Uh, you can hook up with me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn almost every day, and I'm the only Kurt Von Anen on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. You don't have to sort through a bunch of Bill Smiths to find me. Uh, and uh, with that, folks, we will say goodbye, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. All the best. All right, my man.